Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. All right, we're back for another adventure in London, and today we're going to travel to Westminster Abbey in downtown London. This is one of the most iconic buildings in downtown London, and it is on the banks of the River Thames. I think they call it Thames. Thames? I think that's how they say it. Okay, well, I'm American. Yeah. They have to live with it. The church has a history that goes back a thousand years, and it was founded by the Benedictine monks and served as a monastery until Henry VIII. And we know what happened when Henry VIII came into power mm-hmm. and decided to end all monasteries because his divorce was not sanctified by the church. Those darn Catholic monasteries, yes. they had to go. Yes. But somehow this one didn't go, so I guess we'll get into that. There was a few that did not get destroyed, and okay. I don't know, there's reasons for it. Yeah. But the church's importance in the British history and their society has been noted with the UNESCO World Heritage Site status, and this was given to it in 1987. It's also a grade one listing building, which means that they can't change the building. They, If any uh, restoration happens, they have to keep the building as is and just restore it uh, to its originality. If you're a tourist, it's a great attraction to go to, to visit, and it also has a museum in it. It attracts over a million visitors a year, so when you do go, expect it to be very busy. If you choose to, there is a London Pass that gives you entry into several locations, and this is one of the locations if you buy the London Pass. It's a living monument to English history. It has a extremely long history within the monarchy itself, beginning with Henry III. It is an Anglican church. It wasn't called Westminster Abbey in its beginnings. It was really named the Collegiate Church of St. Peter at Westminster. And I think it was just easier for people to say Westminster Abbey since it did start out as an abbey. That's the name that kind of stuck, huh? Yeah, Yeah. it stuck with it. And there's also an Eastminster church, but you don't hear about that because it's not of the famed history as the Westminster Abbey has. Yeah, so my understanding is that the church that was built on the east is the one that is today the St. Paul Cathedral. Yes, it is. Which we did visit when we we were in London. yeah which has a phenomenal organ. Uh, yes, and it they, is a beautiful, yeah. beautiful church, but yeah. we will talk about that so too. That was and, the and east later. side, this was yeah. the west side. Yeah, so we ended up choosing this as one of the things we were going to do during our time in London. And before we left, we ended up flipping through one of the tour books 
of the UK. The book we had was called DK Eyewitness Travel Guide to Great Britain. There's a link in the show notes to it. And when we were looking at what might we want to do when we're in London, this is one of the things that you and I both said, hey, we think that this might be interesting. So we fit it into our Mm -hmm. schedule, Mm -hmm. schedule, as they say in Mm -hmm. the UK. As we were staying on the western side of London, to get here, we got on the tube and made our way fairly close to where you find Big Ben, the Houses of Parliament. This is right there. So I think when Mm -hmm. you go to London, you're not going to miss that downtown area. This is right there. We got off on the St. James tube stop and then uh, it was kind of a fairly short walk. Now, when we did the Westminster Abbey, we did this in the afternoon. We ended up doing the Churchill War Rooms in the morning. So you can do both attractions in one day. If you want to do something else, you could probably fit this plus something else easily into one day. The entry ticket to get in, at least at the time of this podcast, is £22. If you buy your ticket in advance for an adult, and if you wait to get your ticket at the Abbey itself, it's going to be £24. So that's a little bit about where it's at and a little bit of what it's going to take to get inside. Although we have a few more tidbits on getting in, we'll get to momentarily. So a little bit more on its history. It does go back to the first millennium. Um, Nobody really knows when that first monastic community started there, but it is believed it was before 960 AD. As we mentioned before, it was founded as a Benedictine monastery. And Dunstan, who was the future Archbishop of Canterbury, found in this monastery following the rule of St. Benedict. Um, When King Edward III, the one I had uh, spoken of previously, came to the throne in 1043, he couldn't leave his kingdom to pay homage to the Pope in Rome. Uh, He was Catholic, and the Pope ordered him to build this monastery to St. Peter. So Edward chose to build it in the site where this Dunstan's monastery on the banks of the River Thames, or however they say it in England, was. And so that's the beginning of this grandiose Westminster church. Mm -hmm. It's not a cathedral, from what I understand. They don't really call it a cathedral. But the grandiose Gothic architecture of the church started with King Edward. So we also learned that in its early, early days that it was not only a church, but it was either within the building itself or just adjacent on the same property. I'm not 100% sure, but this is where the meeting room would have been for the king and his council. Mm -hmm. So there was a chamber somewhere on these premises where the king's council would meet, and that would end up being the origins of parliament. So what became the House of Commons and their very first meetings would happen here. And then by the time you get to the time of Henry VIII, the business of parliament had grown so large that it was basically too big to be housed at the Abbey anymore. And that's when they moved Mm -hmm. to the Palace of Westminster to do the political business. Yeah, so that's that's very fascinating. And there are um, certain viewing material, uh, whether YouTube, that actually has what this chamber looked like. Mm-hmm. And it's very old. 
And in its time, very, very vibrant with color and tapestries and everything else. So I'd like to have seen that, but I guess it wasn't one of those things that was on the uh, wasn't on visiting our tour. tour yeah. yeah. So we had two stops on this day, and we, we spoke about the stop in the morning. We had gone to the Churchill War Rooms, and this was our second stop of the day. So it's very close to the Churchill War Rooms. We, we walked, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, and... We had arrived and we saw the facade or the front of the building, which was very grand. It had beautiful architecture. There was a lot of people in front. This was not the entrance to get in if you were going to be a visitor to Westminster Abbey. But what were your first impressions I mean, when you first saw the facade yeah, of this I mean, church? Totally impressive. I mean, in the general area, it's if it's not the largest building there, and I don't remember exactly, it's clearly one of the largest, so it's enormously impressive. You've got this stonework that goes back a millennia, if not more, right? Oh, yeah. You look at it from the outside, and it kind of starts to set your expectations on when you get inside, you might see something spectacular. Yeah, and we've, we've had experiences where we've seen beautiful churches on the outside entered in, and our expectations were kind of dashed. Wow, wow, Yeah, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, so we didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And we kind of walked into this abbey with that thinking. It's like, what are we going to see? We don't know. It could be something grand. It could be not. It could you know, be we great. It could be a letdown. The one example that comes to mind is when we were in Bath. Right, You've got that right. large Bath Abbey Bath there, Abbey, yeah. which you know similarly is very impressive from the outside. It sits on this large market square. At least when we visited there, the outside had more to offer us than the inside. Well, on the outside too, I want to, I do mm. want to mention that they did add something in the 20th century mm-hmm. to the outside of this church in the west front entrance and it was unveiled in 1990 and what they added was 10 martyr statues commemorating martyrdoms of the church leaders in the 20th century so that that's quite different from what they had ever done to this building before and some of the martyred were people that you could probably recognize yeah and i think part of the point with that is as you go in the inside of the church you see so much that is you know hundreds of years old there's commemoration of people who were committed to the church 600 500 400 years ago but you even have in the present day you know during our lifetimes people who had given their life for the faith and mm-hmm. so that's the commemoration that they added to the outside that yeah, you know which the, is quite uh, nice i yeah. thought it was nice mm-hmm. So when entering in, you aren't going to be coming through the front facade of the church. You're going to be going around towards the north side of the church, and there's a north entrance. You enter in, waiting in a line, and you go through a security check. So they will be checking your bags, your items. I don't remember if there's anything you couldn't bring in besides food and drink. Mm -hmm. You can bring water. Whatever we had on our person, we were able to take inside. We were inside. able to bring yeah. in, yeah. So as we entered in, I was really pleased, actually. My mm-hmm. first impression, I was very pleased with what I was seeing. It seemed magnificent. It seemed grand. It seemed so well-preserved. You could see the ancient part of the church. Yeah, it reminded it was me impressive. a little bit, and we're going to emphasize a little bit, 
of the kind of impression that I got when we visited the Vatican Church in Rome. Basically, you had very large open space, the stonework, the marble, the statues were larger than you would see Mm -hmm. in most Mm -hmm. other places. So it kind of had that bigger than life ambiance beyond what you would get in a typical church. Well, yeah, but the Gothic architecture was magnificent. Stunning, yeah. It was just gorgeous. Look up. When you go in there, make sure you look up. Yeah, so this is one of these places where there's so much for your vision everywhere you look. Yeah, so there's something I mean, everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere you look in front of you, to the side, there's places on the floors you've got to look down because there's some magnificent things you're going to see on the floors. Mm-hmm. You have to look up, be it the ceiling work, the stained glass, the uh, you know tile mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. etc. Just yep. Something everywhere. Yep. And you did get a audio too when you walked in. Mm-hmm. So that's very helpful. Use your audio. Yeah. So I think there are options to have guided tours, but those are fairly limited. So mm-hmm. I think for most people coming in, you'll get an audio option. And my memory is that they have the audio available in multiple languages. And you do have people from multiple cultures who do come in and visit this place. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful because as you make your way through, the structure, it's going to point out the significance of the various things that you're seeing. And as far as audio tours go, this one didn't have, for me, like an overwhelming amount of selections on the audio stop. No, it was, it was it very well paced. There was well over thousands of items that were in the church, yeah, but, but they were very a, selective about what... A, a few dozen audio yeah, selections, and maybe. It, it was the significant events Mm -hmm. and items in the church that they pointed out. So one of the things that caught my attention is as we started to make our way around the church, I was hearing the words of a prayer service. Mm -hmm. And as I'm hearing the words, it caught my attention because it sounded very similar to the words that are said in the Roman Catholic Mass uh, right before you get to the Sanctus. Mm -hmm. And I'm not familiar at all with an Anglican service. Mm-hmm. You yeah. mentioned this was Anglican. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We asked. Do. Okay. So I had to stop for a little bit just to do a double check of, is this really like an Anglican service or is this, do like multiple denominations come in here? But it did turn out it was, it was an it was Anglican. Anglican yeah. But that was a, a bit of a learning for me in that at least that part of the service had so much similarity to the Roman Catholic service, which is our faith and our familiarity yeah so the oddity of a yeah, we're anglican doing, mass going on we're doing the tour yeah while there's an actual service going yeah. on yeah so it felt somewhat awkward to me to be the tourist walking around looking at stuff while there was a sacred service happening right. at simultaneous very uh, awkward yeah. I, I really had a hard time getting over that this was a little bit you know the shoe being on the other foot because i do remember when we were in rome in the vatican yeah. and we would have been there for a mass yeah while there were tourists you know, all making, over the place making their way around yeah. taking photos whatever so yeah but we, at least it was in a chapel behind the main altar yeah and you didn't have people like milling around going you know trailing around the pew that you're sitting in it just seems so awkward 
I, I do seem to recall at Bath Abbey that when there was a service going on there, at least on the Sunday when we visited, mm-hmm. they didn't allow people in there until a particular time. So right, like when the right. service was done. So at right. least there for parts of the services, they kept the service to the service and then they kept the visiting for right. the visiting. Right. And here it's yeah. all kind of intermingled. So even though that happened, I did note that the tourists who were inside were keeping quiet. And there was lots of staff around to make sure that the tourists were respectful and not Mm -hmm. disruptive. And Mm -hmm. so that all seemed to work okay. I think you mentioned, Julie, that this is a working church. They perform over 1,500 services in this church every single year. Eight services every week are sung by the resident choir. We did not hear the choir when we were there for the midday service. But I think that's something that is available for people to be able to appreciate Mm -hmm. if they're able to attend a service during their visit there. And the history that's in this church, first and foremost, starts with the monarchy. You've got coronations over the centuries that have taken place here. The crowning of monarchs from Edward the Confessor downward to the present day. The famous coronation chair is in the building. We recently saw it on, we were watching a YouTube and it was yeah. interesting to me that when they focused on the chair, how much graffiti yeah, kind of there is on this chair. I, and and not, not graffiti in terms of um, paint. Like, it was scratched yeah, into, scratched the, into the, uh, the wood of the, the chair. chair. And yeah. like, I would have expected them to keep that under such like lock and key that nobody could get to it. But apparently over the... The centuries, it's gotten a bit of, uh, you know, Peter was here type of thing. Yeah, yeah. it didn't seem to bother them. So that was, maybe it's ancient graffiti. Yeah. Also, the church has been the stage for royal weddings. Just recently, Mm -hmm. it was, I'm not familiar with the monarchy, the the older son of Diana and his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they got married there. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So we continued our tour, and as we were going through, there were many altars and chapels inside of the church itself. So you had your main nave and the high altar, the main altar, and then all around that was certain chapels and lots and lots of crypts Mm -hmm. and in the floor and the walls. Chapels you walk into, they were quite large, that held more crypts that held commemorations for certain people uh, within the monarchy. It's quite extensive and it's really large. They have beautiful stained glass. In the middle of the church, they have several altars and that main altar was absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. In the floor of the main altar, there is what they call the Cosmati pavement, which is the most ancient flooring there, right? It's one of the oldest. Yeah, I just know it was pretty impressive. So We, we couldn't not, see it. They didn't allow people. Yeah. You could come up to it and look at it, but there was a, a mask going okay. on, so we couldn't get up into that. Yeah, I remember seeing yeah. pictures of it online, so that's kind of what my memory is of it, you know, fairly ornate glass and marble. It's yeah. the original mm-hmm. floor okay. to Edward III when he created this Westminster Abbey. So it's got a lot of antiquity to it, and it also has a, quite a story to tell. I guess there's all the depictions in it tell quite a story about... Like biblical stories? No, about monarchy, really. Okay. Yeah. So it's just fascinating. I love that kind yeah. of stuff. The other thing that's kind of eye-catching in that general area is the space that's called the choir. And when I've seen imagery and videos over the years of Westminster Abbey, it, that's the space that comes to mind. And that's kind of, if you think about 
a long walkway, if you would. And then on, on either side, you've got the seating. And oftentimes you'll see the boys choir and the men choir seated there, which I believe is you know partly why they, they call this the choir spelled Q-U-I-R-E. Mm-hmm. That space originally was designed when the monks were there, Catholic monks, and they would pray the, uh, the daily office seven times a day. Today, that space is used for the choristers. But if you've ever seen you know, a, a service broadcast from Westminster Abbey, that is surely one of the uh, the visions that, that you would see. And for me, it, it's been quite memorable. Mm-hmm. In addition to the altars, there are several chapels that are built into the abbey. Several of them caught our eye. One was a chapel of St. John the Baptist. And what was interesting with that one is there's old graffiti carving on the outside of the chapel and again you know not paint graffiti but Mm -hmm. kind of that scratched into the stone from hundreds and hundreds of years ago i'm sure similar to you know some of that type of you know scratching in the stonework that we've seen in rome right so you know you've got that here there's a lady chapel there which is dedicated to the blessed virgin mary and in this lady chapel there's also uh the burial crypts of Elizabeth the first, mm. Henry the eighth's daughter, and Mary, Queen of Scots. Mm-hmm. I mean, you walk walk by their crypts with their images carved in stone on the top, and it's it's quite impressive. I yeah. mean, you're just kind of like, wow. And then the one that particularly caught my eye, I think both of our eyes, was the Royal Air Force Chapel. This is a chapel that commemorates pilots and crew who died from multiple countries during World War II, including from the United States and Poland. Mm -hmm. And if you've listened to some of our past podcasts, we talked about our visit to the Royal Air Force Halton facility, which is where my dad was at during Mm -hmm. the 1940s. If I was able to take one photograph in the facility, it would have been of this particular chapel. Mm -hmm. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but one of the things that you cannot do in Westminster Abbey is there are no photographs. No photographs. It doesn't matter if you're flashing or not flashing. Your camera is not going to come out to take a picture of anything. So I wouldn't even try it because there's so many people that work there walking around watching every every move people are making. And, and, and it's important because you don't want people to destroy, you know, any ancient artifact. But I, I did catch a, a, a video on YouTube where some guy walked into Westminster Abbey and he actually posted his visit there online. He had one of those spy cameras in his hat, oh. his baseball cap. And apparently they sell these baseball caps with a hidden camera in there. So I, oh I probably wouldn't do that either. I'd be, you know, if they, I wouldn't want to be caught. If that's their rule, I'm going to respect their yeah. rule. They, now, they do sell books in the bookstore to help you commemorate or remember your visit. But I think we ended up, at the end of this, we flipped through one or two of the yeah. books just to see what was in there. Because I was specifically looking for information and photography about this particular chapel. That, the and RAF I, and, and chapel, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think I found like one book where out of the entire book, there was like one small image of this thing. And I didn't necessarily feel like paying 25 30 pounds for the one picture that i wanted so so there's that yes so with that note why don't we segue into crypts and tombs because there's more than a few in the building huh i think we'll start with as you might imagine i don't even know how many there were in here but so many tombs of important figures from england's history particularly from the monarchy 
you have so many monarchs who are buried in Westminster Abbey. Henry III was buried here in the 1200s. We've got the tombs, as you mentioned, of Elizabeth I and Queen Mary I, and that's kind of when the whole Roman, Catholic, and Anglican stresses and the royalty started mm -hmm. to happen. The tomb of Henry VII, who was the first Tudor monarch, and Elizabeth of York. And in that particular space, this is one of those spaces where you do need to look at the ceiling when you're in it because it is quite remarkable. It is fantastic. They, yeah. they had... Uh, brought in uh, somebody from Italy hmm. to complete that ceiling beautiful pattern. So look up because it is magnificent. Yeah. And while Henry VII was buried in Westminster Abbey or is, and is buried in Westminster Abbey, his son, the famous Henry VIII, who shut down the monastic community in this space, is the only Tudor monarch to not to be buried at Westminster hmm. Abbey. We mentioned earlier that when he came to reign and there was that little scuffle that happened between he and some of the folks in Rome, he started to shut down the monastic communities, many of them in mm -hmm. England. This was one of the places he did not shut down. And I think particularly just given the vast history of his predecessors and so much of the monarchy that were buried Mm -hmm. in the space mm -hmm. and the history associated with them in, in the space. So given that, Westminster Abbey was spared and then we are able to enjoy the space mm -hmm. kind of as it was today. Yep. You also have many of the royal tombs that surround the high altar. So they kind of get that predominant spot in inside Westminster Abbey. And it's the burial place of no fewer than 26 kings and queens. Also the tombs of several prime ministers throughout mm -hmm. the years are in Westminster Abbey. Not only is the monarchy buried at Westminster Abbey, but there's some other famous well-known people that had money enough to buy a tomb there at Westminster. And or fame. Well, you had to have the money, though. Do you think all of those folks? He was yeah. either... Okay. Oh, I think he had the money. Know. But there is what they call the Poets' Corner. Mm -hmm. And there are names of poets and famous writers that are there that are not actually buried there. Okay. Y yeah. Because yeah, so when you made the com comment about the money, I'm thinking, okay, some of these poets probably were not financially well off. Right. Okay, got right. it. So they, they, weren't, they just have plaques. But there are some plaques and names there that are will be familiar to you. Uh, some of the poets that have plaques and or are buried there would be Geoffrey Chaucer, Tennyson, which we had gone to other places within um, our trip that we had heard that name Tennyson too. So he has got quite a history there. Mm -hmm. Shakespeare, and I don't believe he's actually buried there. Bronte, uh, we have Dylan Thomas and many, many others. You'll see lots of plaques when you take a look at that corner. If you're interested in the arts or writing, that's a good place for you to look at. Or if you had a really good high school English teacher, he or she would have made you read some books written by some of these folk. Yeah, like T.S. Eliot and uh, the very famous Charles Dickens, who highlighted the plight of the mm. poor mm -hmm. in England. Kipling was uh, the author of The Jungle Book. So, it, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. There is also musicians and composers, but the I guess the most famous one would be that uh, John Blow. John Blow and then also George Frederick Handel. Oh, yes. Yeah, is noted there. And he wrote that famous Hallelujah Chorus. Mm -hmm. 
There's scientists buried there. The two famous ones are Isaac Newton and Charles Darwin, which is a quite an interesting pair to be buried there. Yeah, because you've got Isaac Newton is the great Christian scientist, mm-hmm. and Darwin, who um, had a little different perspective on things spiritual and otherwise. I yes, suppose. he did, yes. but apparently he was an Anglican, so that gave him the right to be buried there. Uh-huh. Well, you had mentioned the burial of St. Edward the Confessor. And he has got a very, very prominent tomb or burial site there. And it's one of the audio stops that you'll hear about. But Mm. he rebuilt this church in the thousands. So he's in the year thousands. And he um, has a large, magnificent tomb there that just reaches up almost to the um, ceiling. It's just huge. If I was able to take a photograph, I could remember it better. Oh, it was it was huge. It was very big. Very well known at Westminster Abbey. He was part of the monarchy. He was sainted after his death. So that's quite an interesting uh, story that, that goes with that. Another person that was only buried there for a couple of years, and then he was moved, was the infamous Oliver Cromwell. He was buried in the abbey in 1658 but he was dug up in 1661 under the orders of the recently restored charles ii so after his body was unburied he was hanged from the giblet at tyburn his head was stuck on a pike outside westminster hall so i'm guessing that charles ii had no love of Oliver Cromwell. Sure sounds that way. I don't know how many other people have that kind of story where they're, they suffered a death, they were buried only to be dug up and uh, taken through further humiliation. Well, it all it has to do with all of the politics of the monarchy. Yeah. So yeah. I believe Charles II at one point was thrown out of England and it was probably Oliver yeah. Cromwell that had something to do with it. So I think on upon his return and upon his return to the monarchy, he was so infuriated with him even in death that he decided to make a a statement. Another interesting story is the story of Ben Johnson who was buried in Westminster Abbey standing up. Why was that, Julie? Well, there were over 3500 people buried in the abbey and there was 450 tombs and monuments. For several hundred years anyone could be buried there for a fee. But Ben Johnson the celebrated 17th century poet. Ah, poets have no money, huh? No, was impoverished at the time of his death. So in 1637, he could only afford two square feet of space. So in that square feet of space, apparently his feet could fit in it, but he had to be erect Mm -hmm. on that little piece of uh, land he bought there. As we mentioned, you know, there's so many people buried in this place, monarchs, poets, authors, musicians, scientists, etc. When I think about the musicians, the two that come to mind, you know, famous Brits who I believe are not buried here, you know, John Lennon and George Harrison. Were they Anglican? Maybe, Maybe that's why they're not. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they were, but with everybody else that's buried there, I was kind of almost surprised to not have seen them in Westminster Abbey. Maybe they'll get moved there someday. Oh, hmm. We'll see. Or not. Maybe they don't want to be. (laughs) Yeah. So 
One of the things you'll want to make sure you're aware of if you visit Westminster Abbey is the fact that you cannot take any photos during your visit. So for us, photography is in part a tool that we use to help us remember our travels. And we will, when we go on vacations, we'll come back with hundreds, if not thousands of photos. It probably would be common in a place like this that we would have walked out with well over 100 photos. So... This was, I think, the only attraction during our entire time in the in the UK where we were not able to take photography. So right. I guess if there was any good news from this was that I was able to save some memory on my iPhone. <laughs> but uh, I would have liked to have that yeah, option. Definitely, so definitely. That's, yeah. that's one of the ways that we keep those memories mm -hmm. fresh and alive when we can return to photos mm -hmm. and look and remember the time we spent in, yeah. in a certain place. Yeah. And again, you can't take photos, but you can buy a book. So they've got a bookstore that'll That's be yeah. happy to sell you books with lots of pretty pictures. We did mention that they did have audio tours. As you entered in uh, with the purchase of a ticket, you would get the audio tour and do your own self-guided tour. But they also have what they call Verger guided tours. And it's, it's really the best way to see Westminster Abbey. They are conducted by people that are working at the Abbey. There are no reservations for the Verger tours. So you would come in and ask uh, somebody who's working there, you know, if there's going to be a tour and can you be added on. They are limited in size also. They're in the, the number that they do a day and the number of people that they will take around in one tour. So if that's something that you're interested in, you know, make sure that you ask about that upon entering um, into the Abbey. With this tour, you'll get to see some special parts of the Abbey, such as the tomb of St. Edward the Confessor, which is not accessible to anybody that is just coming in in the general ticket. They also will take you around to see the Poet's Corner, the Royal Tombs, the Lady Chapel, the Nave, and you will get provided some very expert commentary as they're taking you around seeing these these parts of the chapel. Yeah. So I think it's well worth it. Yeah, and yeah, they've got a great reputation. So again, it's one of those things that you do have to try to arrange when you arrive at Westminster Abbey. It takes about an hour and a half, and they only speak English. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are two little caveats that you got to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Given that Westminster Abbey hosts special events, music programs, you will want to check the calendar to see if there's anything happening during the time of your visit, and you might be able to uh, supplement your visit of the Abbey with a concert or some other special event that might be happening during your day. How about some fun facts? Let's do some fun facts, because we have a few. Mm-hmm. The Abbey was founded by the monks who had been there for who knows how long, but they founded the Abbey in 960 AD, and it was actually built upon an island next to the River Thames. The island was called Thorny Island, and you actually see to this day a street called Thorny Street in Westminster. The island no longer exists, but the street is there, and it is the home of the MI5. Do-do-do. Mm -hmm. Do-do-do. <laughs> Number two, the Abbey is home to Britain's oldest door. So apparently the Abbey holds the only surviving Anglo-Saxon door in the country that dates from, they believe it's around the year 1050. So I actually learned a new word in this research. So recent, get this, dendrochronological analysis, which means tree ring dating, 
Dendrochronological. Dendro. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Revealed that the boards were cut from a single tree, which was growing between the years 924 to 1030. So if you want to see Britain's oldest door, it's at Westminster Abbey. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You would think it would just be dust by now. That the termites would have got it. Yeah. Westminster Abbey is not actually an abbey. Da-da-da. <laughs> what? It hasn't actually been an abbey since 1539, when the Benedictine monastic church was dissolved under you-know-who, you mm-hmm. Henry, Henry VIII. You-know-who. Between 1540 and 1556, it was a cathedral. And around 1560, Elizabeth I, who was Henry VIII's daughter, awarded it the status of royal peculiar, making it a church directly responsible to the sovereign rather than to the Church of England itself. So it, it became the property of the monarchy. Number four. So there's some interesting history regarding some of the treasures of the Abbey. So during World War II, they needed to put some measures in, in place to protect some of the treasures. So the coronation chair was sent to Gloucester Cathedral. And forgive me if I'm mangling some of the pronunciations of these British words. And the coronation stone was buried secretly in the abbey. And then you had a collection of wax funeral effigies that were actually stored in the Piccadilly tube station. So they scattered things and moved things around to make make sure that, you know, should something happen to Westminster Abbey during the war, that some of the treasures would be protected. Good thing they did. Number five, it's a Gothic architectural wonder. And I can attest to that. It was Mm -hmm. gorgeous. Mm Mm-hmm. The current building dates from the time of Henry III, who wished to honor St. Edward the Confessor in the new Gothic style. The 13th century was a great age of cathedrals, most famous at Amiens, Averroes, and Chartreux in France, and Canterbury, Winchester, and Salisbury in England. The abbey is home to the highest Gothic vault in England. It reaches 102 feet. It's characteristic of Gothic features, the pointed arches, vaulting, rose windows, and flying buttresses. Mm-hmm. It's pretty stunning. It was gorgeous. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. It was really gorgeous. So anybody that is a fan of this type of architecture mm-hmm. is somebody who should definitely go there. Mm-hmm. As well as people who enjoy church history or British history, mm-hmm. uh, Westminster Abbey would be a great stop. So we thought that this particular place was majestic. The architecture was enormously impressive, as was the history in the church. By the time we got to Westminster Abbey, during our travels in the UK, we had seen a few other notable cathedrals and abbeys. And at least for me, I think if you were going to select one, this would be the one to see if you're in the UK. So if you're mm-hmm. going to pick one church um, and just the, the history that's in this particular place captures so much of Britain. So very much recommended. We spent about two hours yeah. during our visit. So I think that you'll plan for about that amount of time. will give you a good flavor of Westminster mm-hmm. Abbey. Some tips to give you if you decide to uh, go to Westminster Abbey is to, before you leave, buy your tickets online. Mm -hmm. They are time tickets. So we had to time our day out because we did have two 
places that we were going to hit that day. Um, so we timed it out. It worked out very well because the first place we went to was very close to Westminster Abbey, the Churchill War Room. So it was a quick walk. We spaced the times out enough to where we knew that we would have plenty of time to do both. So that's going to wrap it up for today's podcast. Hope we were able to give you a little bit of an impression of Westminster Abbey so that when you're planning your travels to the UK, if what we've described is of interest to you, this will be one of the places that you want to add to your itinerary. And before we leave, I just want to also mention that if you have not taken a visit to it, check out our blog at theplaceswherewego.com. Recently, some of the additions that we've been throwing on there is we've been continuing to try to replicate some of the food that we've eaten when we visited Britain. And so over the last several weeks, there's a number of recipes that have been added onto the website that we've been making at home and enjoying and they'll keep on coming. So that's there. And then the other news that we have is we are, as of this week now, listed on Google Podcasts. So um, apparently there's all these podcast engines out there and you've got to do different things to get listed on different ones. So we are now there as well. And with that, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time with more travels and adventures. Thanks for coming and we hope to see you soon in the places where we go. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time. Bye now.